Welcome to the nationally syndicated In the Oil Patch radio show with Kim Bellotto, broadcasting from the Port of Corpus Christi studios. Get more on the Port of Corpus Christi at portofcc.com. In the Oil Patch radio show will give you an inside look at the oil, gas, and energy industry and how it affects you from industry experts and government officials right here on the In the Oil Patch radio show. Welcome to In the Oil Patch Radio Show. I'm your host, Kim Bellotto, and today we are coming to you live from the Port of Corpus Christi, in which my guest today is the CEO, Sean Strawbridge of the Port of Corpus Christi. Sean, welcome to In the Oil Patch Radio Show. Thanks for having me, Kim. So we're here uh, in Corpus visiting with you because last night you had a very special event. It was an announcement that you were named or appointed, if you will, the chairman of AAPA, which is the American Association of Port Authorities. That's a pretty big deal because looking back, it's been over a decade that anyone from Texas has been appointed to the chairmanship of this association. So start off by, first of all, telling us a little bit about the importance of AAPA. It is a very important organization. You being the chairman now uh, for two years, uh, first of all, the mission and what do you hope to accomplish within the time period that you're going to be there? Well, Kim, as with any industry association, being named to represent your industry at a national level is a big deal. And I'm grateful for my peers and the peers that uh, that uh, elected me as the chairman of the AAPA. And, you know, it's, uh, it's great to bring that responsibility back to Texas. Uh, Texas has uh, many ports, over 20 and uh, there are eight deep draft ports and a full 20% of the nation's exports move through Texas ports. So having that national prominence and, and being able to tell our message, not only for Texas, but certainly for all ports in the United States is a privilege and, and an honor. And I'm, and I'm grateful for the opportunity. Uh, seaports, uh, we have a lot of challenges. Uh, there's a tremendous amount of headwinds that we face uh, today in the industry, I think you can highlight that by the fragility of the supply chains that we've seen in the wake of the pandemic. Significant disruption. You remember that just last year, it's at the same time as last year, there were 77 ships waiting out in uh, a port that you were at previously, right? The port of Long Beach. That took national attention finally to, to show the American people the importance of the port. So continue on because it is an important topic, these ports. Sure. part of infrastructure. Sure. And ports are national critical infrastructure for any country. Uh, and as I uh, mentioned in the article in your uh, most recent uh, issue of Shell Magazine, if you lift the hood of any economy globally, what you'll see are ports. Uh, and the reliability of ports is, is absolutely critical for any economy. And we've seen those disruptions and what they can do uh, right at the store shelves. Uh, we've seen uh, things like from everything from toilet paper to medicines, medical devices. Really critical items. The, the, these are these are items of, of, of importance just for our everyday daily lives. And the, the, the American consumer doesn't fully understand the importance of seaports. And I think... Many of our elected officials uh, don't understand fully the importance of our seaports, but this creates an opportunity. Right. Uh, these disruptions really 
out of those disruptions and out of that chaos does come opportunity. And so having that responsibility now, not just for uh, what we do here at the Port of Corpus Christi, but taking off my port hat and putting on my industry hat as the chairman of the American Association of Port Authorities, it's a, a real opportunity to increase the prominence and the profile of seaports nationally. And I think that's going to be critical as we go into this new Congress, uh, where we now have the House that's controlled by the Republicans, uh, and certainly the Senate and the executive branch being controlled by the Democrats, it is going to force bipartisanship. And uh, ports are bipartisan in nature. Mm -hmm. Every congressional district in the country and every American territory in the in in uh, every American territory uh, within our country relies on seaports for their overall viability and their their security. Uh, but we've got to ensure that we have cogent public policy around our seaports. And your question about what is my what's my agenda uh, over my uh, my two year uh, appointment as the chairman of the American Association of Port Authorities is really threefold. Number one, we do need to work on a codified national freight policy. Uh, that includes consistent funding mechanisms for seaports to be able to invest in their infrastructure. To so meet. ongoing funding that has not been before till now included in these infrastructure bills or appropriation bills. That's right. So the uh, Infrastructure Investment and Jobs Act and subsequent to that, the Inflation Reduction Act uh, had funding in there and that funding uh, specifically earmarked for seaports in our in our nation. That's the good news. Um, the bad news is it's nowhere near what the need is. Mm -hmm. uh, seaports represent almost a third of the national GDP. Yeah. And the United States has a That's 12, pretty important. It, it is. And, and the, the United States has a $23 trillion economy per year. Uh, so when you think about a third of that, that are directly tied to the viability of our seaports, uh, they're mission critical. Mm -hmm. But when you look at the associated funding that was in those uh, pieces of legislation, uh, the funding falls well below what the need is. And so we've got to really focus on, number one, a national freight policy. Number two is permitting reform. These are large infrastructure projects, and it's unfortunate that we find ourselves now in the unenviable situation of having permits, federal permits, taking much longer than the actual construction time for these large infrastructure projects. In some cases, two or three or four times That longer. is a lot of government red tape. A lot of bureaucracy. Yep. Uh, and there is uh, different agencies saying different things. Mm -hmm. And there are sometimes the same federal agencies saying different things. So that schizophrenia uh, in the market, as I call it, that lack of certainty because of the 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 challenge in inconsistencies in permitting large infrastructure projects that has to be overcome uh we need to bring certainty to the market and it may be a faster path to a no that's okay what we need to ensure though is that industry business has that certainty of that decision point so they can then either pivot if it's a no and redeploy that capital somewhere else, 
or get to that decision point sooner so they can deploy that capital and we can get that infrastructure built uh, and be able to be competitive at a national and an international stage. And then three is energy security. And that includes the energy transition initiatives that includes more environmental protections uh, in the form of technologies and innovations. And we're going to get into that later on in the show. Great. Uh, and But we have a real opportunity to continue to be a leader globally when it comes to being a consistent and reliable energy supplier. And we've got to protect that. Right. So the American Association of Port Authorities, at my understanding, it is the only association that is dealing with federal issues like port issues. And, and, and you said how important these ports are to North America and globally. Uh, not just to mention the GDP that's attached to it, but the commodities that are coming in and out and what's moving that we rely on for our daily comfortable living lifestyle, if you will. But that being said, when you look at elected officials that are transferring in and out every two years, four years, and yet these elected officials come from all walks of life, what do they really know about courts and their criticalness to the infrastructure here in the United States and how we connect globally? Um, I'd say that's a pretty vital thing. So the fact that AAPA is the association that's going down there, you're the chairman now, and these are some of your directives, the three you just mentioned. I, I wish you a lot of success, and I hope it continues because it needs to be, we need to continue this dialogue, elect, you know, helping the elected officials, not just the elected officials, but the general public understand. They got a taste of it last year. Let's keep that conversation going. And that's really what I wanted to continue to talk about is um, how how we're going to continue to keep this conversation up. So you talked about what you're going to educate the elected officials on. The most critical things, your top priorities, you mentioned them. But one thing you didn't really specify is these ports also are important in delivering uh, energy goods, consumer goods. What the ports are doing actually involve national security in the way of like cybersecurity. But are ports potentially at a, a place where we saw pipelines that uh, cyber, if someone could come in and secure your port, kick you out? How vulnerable are ports because of the lack of investment in our government? Is that a concern that AAPA has on how you guys protect the ports? Is that a discussion that's happening at a federal level as well, or is there not a problem here? Well, certainly, Kim. Uh, port security is a uh, critical component for any viable operations. Uh, these are uh, important assets, and ports play a uh, a prominent role in securing those assets. And whether that's in the cyber world or that's uh, physical hardening of these assets from a security perspective, the federal government does have, in the wake of 9-11, uh, there was legislation that was passed. Uh, it was the um, uh, a um, an act that was passed in 2003, and it did create a annual funding mechanism for port security. That funding mechanism is about a hundred million dollars a year of appropriations, federal appropriations, mm -hmm. and those uh, projects that ports submit uh, for funding, uh, they're competitively, uh, 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 you know, they're competitive. Uh, FEMA is actually the administrator of that program, uh, and the Port of Corpus Christi uh, this year in 2022 uh, received about $3 million of that $100 million. so about 3% went to our port. That was the largest single, uh, we were the largest single recipient of port security grant funds. But I will tell you, when you look at port operations, 
uh, port authorities spend a lot of money on security. In fact, most port authorities, their their largest single operating expense is security. That's good. Uh, we here at the Port of Corpus Christi, we've got a sworn police department. Uh, we have about 40 sworn officers mm -hmm. that have statewide felony arrest uh, powers. Uh, we are the uh, the local agency responsible for securing our waterways. Um, we have restricted waterways uh, because of the 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 vitality uh, and the criticality of, for example, refineries, mm -hmm. uh, which, for example, South Florida relies 100 percent on Texas and Louisiana for its transportation fuels. If those uh, those refineries were disruptive due to some nefarious act, uh, that would have a widespread ripple effect across the United States and perhaps across the globe uh, as well. And Sean, so we're going to take a quick break, but when we come back, I want to get back on this definite important topic on the security of our ports and, and moving forward. Let's take a quick break. You're listening to the World Patch Radio Show, and we'll be right back. And we're back. You're listening to in the Wall Patch Radio Show. My guest today is the CEO of the Port of Corpus Christi and a newly elected chairman of the American Association of Port Authorities, better known as AAPA, Sean Strawbridge. Sean, before the break, you were discussing the critical nature of all ports taking security, especially cybersecurity, uh, as their number one priority. And it's good to see that it is on the radar with the federal government and all of the um presidents and CEOs and leaders of our ports in North America. I, I want to give you a chance because you I've kind of broke in there. You were discussing how if a port, a vital port, was to go offline for any nefarious reason, you feel that the ports, a lot of them, take security as the top priority. That's kind of important for the listeners to understand how important our ports are. It isn't just what we enjoy, we use every day coming from our ports to and from. It's a matter of national security. Ports have been identified as a a critical structure that could be uh, someone could create an act of terrorism. It's a very uh, big problem. And it's good to hear you say that the ports understand this AAPA, the elected officials are. I want to continue and give you a moment because I had to go to break. Continue on this conversation and then we're going to move on into AAPA. Well, uh, as I was saying before the break, Kim, uh, security is probably one of our largest, if not the largest single operational discipline from a cost perspective. And when you think about public safety, uh, you think about uh, municipal public safety, it's really about saving lives and protecting lives. In ports, it's about protecting livelihoods. Uh, these are large-scale job-creating enterprises. Mm -hmm. uh, one in three jobs here in South Texas is directly or indirectly tied to the Port of Corpus Christi and our ability to remain operational on a 24-7 basis. So when we look at asset protection we look at ensuring uh, safety in the uh, waterways and in the roads and rails and the pipelines that are all dependent upon this infrastructure to remain open and yet at the same time we've got security uh you can't you could secure facilities right down to where they're shut down so it's it's a fine balance it's a choreography that we have to engage in on ensuring that the waterways are open for business that the roads and the rail and the pipelines are functional and operational and yet they're secure at the same time um, from a cyber standpoint we 
our prominence has grown, as has many other ports in the United States, uh, and the, criti the critical nature from an economic standpoint, uh, also from a military standpoint. We're a large strategic military port. We move tremendous amount of military cargoes through the port of Corpus Christi going to military bases. Uh, we move foreign militaries who come to the United States to engage in joint exercises with the U.S. military. Uh, they need to have an ability to move their equipment uh, fluidly and safely through ports, and, and we take that uh, that responsibility extremely seriously as we have to continue to maintain a level of readiness for the American warfighter, both at home and abroad. So security is a huge uh, focus for us as it is that's for the a, rest of the industry. That's a really good thing to hear. Let's switch gears a little bit and come back to AAPA. Some of the, you know, there's been a lot of money that has been distributed as of, because of the great work that AAPA has been doing in DC, um, basically educating the elected officials. There's been a lot of money, a lot of different grant money that's up. There was the uh, Infrastructure Reduction Act that also included some money for carbon capture and stuff. I guess I, I want to ask you, what are going to be some of the highlights when you look at when you get to Washington, D.C. as the chairman with Chris Connor, the, the, the uh, president of AAPA? What are the top things you guys are going to try to go for to bring back to the ports? I and mean, how much of it will reflect Texas ports? Well, a full 20 percent of the nation's exports move through Texas ports. It's the largest state in terms of exports from the United States. So uh, we've got uh, dependencies from uh, other states to ensure that Texas ports, uh, landlocked states, to ensure that Texas ports uh, remain open and, and remain viable. And and ports throughout the country uh, are really, they're, they're so vital to the economic development of their regions. So having that message out there about the importance of ports to the elected officials, and we're going to see a lot of new members of Congress. Right. Uh, and so we've got to ensure that these new members uh, understand the importance. The good news is that in the House, there was a House Ports Caucus that was formed. It was actually formed by a California uh, Congresswoman, Janice Hahn. Uh, in the earlier part of the previous decade. And it's a bipartisan caucus. Uh, currently, the Republican chairman is a Texas congressman, uh, Randy Weber, uh, and the outgoing Democrat chair uh, was uh, Alan Lowenthal from Long Beach, uh, you know, my old, uh, my old neighborhood. Uh, the incoming congressman from Long Beach is Robert Garcia. Uh, he was the mayor and a councilman in Long Beach. I know uh, Congressman Garcia, and I'm excited about uh, his new tenure in in Congress because he does understand the important supports, and it may very well be that he becomes the Democratic chair of the House Ports Caucus. So that's a great place to start. There are over 80 members of the House Ports Caucus, uh, many members that don't have ports in their district, but fully understand the important supports for the viability of their district. The you know the 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 the, the challenge is it's uh, what I call the squeaky wheel syndrome. Uh, in Washington, D.C. There are so many large structural issues that our country is facing, whether that's the economy, whether that's education, whether that's health care. And so it's really about having that regular cadence of messaging in D.C. We can't do it alone. The American Association of Port Authorities cannot do it alone. So we have to recruit and work with other associations whose members are also dependent on uh, ports for their uh, their viability. 
Uh, and that's folks like the National Retail Federation, uh, the American Petroleum Institute, mm -hmm. uh, the car manufacturers. Uh, you know, there's a wide array of other associations exactly. where what I would like to use the term uh, can act as a force multiplier yep. in getting our message out there to uh, members of Congress and certainly to the administration that that more needs to be done. I think the other area is we when I talk about permitting reform, uh, waterways, uh, navigable waterways in the United States uh, in terms of maintenance and in terms of improvements are the responsibility of the United States Army Corps of Engineers. Uh, it's a large federal agency in a DOD agency, uh, you know, in the, the U.S. Army, um, 34,000 civili civilians, but it's led by, uh, by, you know, Army leadership. And rank and file doesn't it, always necessary yeah it, it can be an unwieldy uh organization at times they don't necessarily move at the same cadence that industry does right. you know when the army corps of engineers goes into a, a war theater they're really good about establishing base infrastructure that's needed for the american warfighter but when we talk about here at home we talk about uh navigation we talk about flood control we talk about flood risk mitigation that's all under the the responsibility of the army corps of engineers this is an agency that has over a hundred billion dollars in navigation alone of congressionally authorized projects mm -hmm. and yet their appropriations this last year was 17 billion dollars so you can see very slow we don't have the resources being appropriated to mm -hmm. the corps of engineers at the level that they need to execute on these large-scale projects sean let's take a break when we come back i want to get into the actual political discourse and the good things that are happening here you're listening to an oil patch radio show we'll be right back listening to in the wall patch radio show my guest today is sean strawbridge the ceo of the port of corpus christi and newly elected chairman for the american association of port authorities better known as aapa sean we've talked a lot about aapa uh, its mission hopefully its goals uh, with you at the helm i'm sure you're going to operate it with a lot of ease and bring a lot more uh, depth to what they have been able to get so far which has been a great job by the way but let's Let's switch gears and talk about here at home. We're here in beautiful Corpus Christi. I'm, you know, overlooking the actual port, and I wish that our listeners and our viewers could see the beautiful ships coming through. It's impressive. You've been here about seven years. I remember when I met you, you looked like you had a California style. Now you look like a Texan. <laughs> um, but I remember you, you know, when you got here, the port was on its way but certainly nothing to where it is right now i'm not saying these things to uh to to inflate you as much as the listeners really need to understand the great job your leadership and your team has managed to do because these numbers are impressive the largest u.s port in total tonnage for 2022 but you also hold the position of the number one exporting oil uh export gateway, if you will, and then also second in LNG. And you also are hitting numbers in the green area with renewables. This is impressive. It wasn't this way before. The port, I think, for many years was trying to find its way of where are we going and waited 20 years for the golden moment to arrive. And either it was really great timing or it was great leadership because you arrived and a lot of this stuff started to happen. 
So let's talk about your rightful place, this port, in the overall ports of North America. And it is the number one energy port superseding all other ports. Tell me a little bit about that. Well, I want to I want to uh, make one small correction. We're uh, not the largest port in terms of uh, waterway tonnage. We're actually number three in waterway tonnage in the United States. That means all the tonnage that moves through the port of Portland, uh, we're number three. Uh, we'll do about 185 million tons of goods this year. Uh, number two is a 65 mile stretch of the uh, Mississippi River in Louisiana called the South uh, Louisiana uh, State Port. Uh, and number one is the Houston Ship Channel uh, up, the, up the road in, in Houston, Texas. Um, but in terms of revenue tonnage, we're the largest port in revenue tonnage. And what I mean by that is, if you look at the Port of Houston, for example, the Port Authority itself handles about 80 million tons through its facilities. The waterway, though, there are a tremendous amount of private facilities um, that that tonnage is counted in the waterway tonnage. But the Port Authority really has no influence or or uh, or generates any revenue off of those uh, those those tons. Every ton that moves through the Port of Corpus Christi is a revenue ton for us. And the reason for that is when the port was formed back in the 20s, the state actually ceded the submerged land as well as uplands to the port. And you may be a private upland landowner, uh, but if you get to the water and you want to build a dock, now you're building on port property, uh, which we uh, certainly welcome uh, those investments and those developments. Uh, but there's going to be a small fee that's going to be assessed for the use of those lands. Now, we're a public agency, so we don't have shareholders that we distribute our profits to. Instead, all the money that we earn gets reinvested right back into the supporting infrastructure to ensure the security, the safety, and certainly the competitive viability of the Port of Corpus Christi gateway for our customers. And a good example of that, probably the cornerstone of that is the Corpus Christi Ship Channel Improvement Project, mm -hmm. which is currently under construction to deepen the channel to 54 feet and to widen it to 930 feet. Uh, and that's to be able to handle two-way large vessel traffic fluidly, as well as two-way barge traffic. We do a tremendous amount of barge uh, movements through the Port of Corpus Christi as well. Those are all for domestic uh, markets, serving domestic markets as far away as uh, Florida and all the way down to Mexico. Um, you know, we, we... Well, that's on revenue and that's everything coming in. When we come back from break, I want to drill down into the crude exporting oil and gas you have hydrogen coming in. There's, there's a lot of carbon capture that you guys will also uh, be utilizing here too. I want to drill down into those. We've got to take a quick break. You're listening to in the Old Patch Radio Show. We'll be right back. Hey, when you're in business, you have to make a lot of tough choices. So let's talk about an easy one, your workers' comp coverage. If you're a propane or butane dealer or operator, you need to join the Lone Star Energy Safety Group through Texas Mutual Insurance Company. As a member, you'll automatically get a discount on your premium, plus you can earn double dividends that'll go straight into your pocket. It's the easiest decision you'll ever make. Find out more at texasmutual.com slash Lone Star Energy.
And we're back. You're listening to the Oil Patch Radio Show. My guest today is Sean Strawbridge, CEO of the Port of Corpus Christi and newly elected chairman of AAPA, American Association of Port Authorities. Sean, when uh, we took a break, you were telling us about the revenue as a whole here from the port. But our show is in the Oil Patch Radio Show. We care about telling the energy story, the energy transition. And there is, in my opinion, a lot of great ports, Houston Port, uh, Freeport. We talked to Freeport as well. A lot of great ports. But this port excites me because it's really the brass ring, if you will, when we talk about energy. Not only the importance of us doing it here locally greener and having a lot of um, regulatory oversight here at the port that you guys take seriously, but also we're able to help our allies with their energy needs. And this is the gateway, this port right here. So tell us a little bit about how uh, important the energy sector is to your port. Can you hit on the oil and gas, natural gas that's coming in and out of here? Can you talk to us about the hydrogen? And then, of course, there's a lot of buzz going on with carbon capture. Uh, let's talk about that. Well, American Energy is the cornerstone of this port. Uh, in fact, we have uh, we're self-described as the energy port of the Americas. Uh, we are number one in market share in crude oil exports. We're number two in liquefied natural gas, and we're number three in refined products. Uh, we also do a tremendous amount of renewable energy through here, wind components uh, primarily. We set a record this year for wind components moving through the Port of Corpus Christi. So we really have an all of the above uh, appetite to continue to maintain that position as the energy port of the Americas. Uh, crude oil has really been the growth story for us over my tenure. Uh, you mentioned in uh, an earlier segment that, uh, you know, whether it was by luck, uh, or by leadership. I think there's probably a little of both there. Um, when I arrived here uh, from Florida, actually, uh, the um, I had been in California, had moved to Florida and worked for an energy company in Florida uh, when this opportunity came calling. And a lot of my uh, colleagues asked, you know, Corpus Christi, what, you know, what's so special about Corpus <laughs> Christi? And it was really my prognostication that if the crude oil export ban was ever lifted, that this port could could become a major powerhouse in mm -hmm. the promulgation of more exports of American energy. Um, and I arrived in uh, the middle of 2015 with an expectation that the earliest that that repeal uh, might happen would be under a Republican administration and maybe a couple of years into a Republican administration. So I was prognosticating 2018. Turns out in a bipartisan omnibus agreement that was reached in December of 2015, a mere six months after I arrived, where the Democrats uh, received an extension on the renewable energy production tax credits mm -hmm. and the Republican caucus uh, was able to get the uh, export ban on crude oil, which had been in place since 1975, lifted. A uh, mere two weeks after President Obama signed that omnibus agreement, the first shipment of crude oil sailed right out of Corpus Christi, and we've never looked back. And today, we enjoy a over 60% market share. And there are some days where we are moving over 3 million barrels per day of crude oil through the port of Corpus Christi to our overseas allies mm -hmm. and trading partners. Um, LNG has been another growth story. And what we've seen with Chenier's $18 billion investment uh, in their three large-scale LNG liquefaction trains that now have a capacity of about 16 million tons per year, 
uh, and have just announced an expansion, another $8 billion expansion uh, to grow that to nearly 30 million tons per year of additional capacity. The demand is there. Uh, we've seen that from a, uh, a foreign policy and, a, a, you know, the geopolitical uh, world has shifted. Mm -hmm. uh, Mr. Putin and his expansionist ambitions mm -hmm. uh, in Ukraine and the subsequent sanctions on, on Russian energy has really continued to drive American energy to our allies and our partners. But the real challenge is, you know, when we talk about energy, it's what I call the four Ps. It's production, mm -hmm. it's pipelines, it's processing, and it's ports. We've got to be able to produce That's perfect. More. <laughs> to, point more, to produce more. We've got to move those, those molecules to the coast through pipelines where they can then be processed. And then we've got to make sure that we can get them on vessels and get them to our trading partners. Russia has proven to be an unreliable energy supplier. And that will likely persist mm -hmm. uh, for a lot longer than we all expected. And that means that our NATO allies are going to be looking to the United States to fill that void. I just saw an interview with uh, President uh, Macron of France and energy and the relationship between Europe and the United States with energy was top of mind for him and his policies. We've got to... Uh, really take full advantage of this position that we have found ourselves in and not shoot ourselves in the foot by making production more difficult, by making pipelines more difficult to build, uh, by extending permittings or denying permits for reasons that really don't have uh, the, uh, you know, don't have environmental uh, concerns. We're now seeing that uh, anybody with any concern towards energy can is given standing uh, we've got to change that uh, because if we don't, we're going to lose this golden opportunity of continuing to be a, uh, a leader on the world stage. Well, let's switch and talk a little bit about hydrogen. It's all the buzz, especially here in a lot of ports. Um, there's a lot of hydrogen going on all over. There's all different colors of hydrogen uh, that have different applications, if you will. Uh, and, and we're talking to the listener that's heard hydrogen, but not really sure what that is or how that is, but you guys are getting involved in hydrogen. You're also taking advantage of some cutting edge uh, technology and wanting to get uh, or be a part of the carbon capture discussion. Tell us a little bit about what your goals are for the Port of Corpus Christi in those areas. Well, certainly uh, energy demand, the appetite for more energy globally. It's only going to grow. And we have to uh, look for uh, new energy supplies. Uh, and there, all major corporations have made atmospheric decarbonization commitments. Yes. So hydrogen seems to be percolating to the top of everybody's mind. And the same energy producers that produce traditional fossil fuels uh, are well situated to transition to uh, perhaps uh, some of these new energy uh, uh, developments like hydrogen. Hydrogen is in abundance. It can be derived from water. It can be derived from hydrocarbons, uh, natural gas. Um, if you are going to to uh, to, to crack hydrocarbons, uh, you've got a hydrogen molecule and you've got a carbon molecule. In order to meet those atmospheric decarbonization commitments, you've got to sequester those carbon molecules. And Texas is blessed, and we are certainly blessed down here in the coastal bend with large geologic formations that are ideally suited to inject that CO2 for permanent storage. 
we see that as a real opportunity, not only from an environmental perspective, but certainly an economic development perspective. So our agency is working diligently with industry, with the federal government to develop a common uh, kind of, if you think about a common carrier, a centralized carbon management solution. Our customers are not going to make the significant billions of dollars of investment in carbon capture technologies inside their fence lines if they don't have that certainty that that carbon has a home once it leaves their fence line. We're trying to bring that certainty to them by instituting centralized carbon management solutions. Let's take a quick break. I want to get back on this topic as soon as we return. You're listening to a new old pack radio show. We'll be right back. And we're back. You're listening to In the Oil Patch Radio Show. My guest today is Sean Strawbridge, the CEO of the Port of Corpus Christi, along with the newly elected chairman of AAPA, American Association of Port Authorities. Sean, before the break, uh, I asked you, tell us a little bit about what's happening here at the Port of Corpus Christi pertaining to hydrogen. It's all the buzz. It's all the rave. Uh, also carbon capture. You being newly elected to, as chairman of AAPA, there's this association was directly in many ways responsible for getting money tucked in for port authorities to go and try to build infrastructure, look at things like hydrogen and carbon capture. How much of the Port of Corpus Christi are you advocating here for? What will you, if you are given some of this grant money here as a result of the good work from AAPA, how much will come to the Port of Corpus Christi in the areas of hydrogen and carbon capture? Because this is all the green new uh, transition, right? So. Not only is the port kicking ass, if you will, in oil and gas, but they're also looking at diversification in all of these new technologies that are also being available. What is your vision for, for hydrogen and carbon capture? Yeah, the vision is uh, there are tremendous federal dollars that have been appropriated through the investment, uh, the Infrastructure Investment and Jobs Act and the, uh, the Inflation Reduction Act to de-risk some of these and, and jumpstart some of these cleaner, greener initiatives. And we believe that we have all the ingredients to develop centralized hydrogen hubs and centralized carbon management hubs. We think the efficacy that we will be able to achieve here in Corpus Christi per dollar of federal funds that is granted, it will be higher than anywhere else in the country. The reason for that Meaning is any other port than any other we we're not aware of any other port that's uh, pursuing these funds. We know there are states mm -hmm. and we know there are industry partners. So through it's not going to be specific to ports. It's it's to anyone. It's to anyone. And so you're going to see California, West Virginia. There's now a coalition called uh, Halo uh, and it is uh, hydrogen, Oklahoma, Louisiana, Arkansas. Oh. Uh, those states have banded together to pursue those funds in a, in a partnership. I thought that was uh, uh, pretty thoughtful and strategic of those ports to uh, to band together. These are going to be highly coveted, highly competitive grants, uh, but we feel pretty good based on the fact that we have a tremendous amount of hydrocarbons already here today, a tremendous amount of infrastructure already here today, and, a, and a, uh, a, a an agency in the Port of Corpus Christi that has tremendous experience already 
as a recipient of federal grant dollars, responsibly administrating those grant Stewards dollars of those funds. and working with industry. If we can bring those federal dollars here to help de-risk these initiatives, we think, again, for the dollars that are invested, we'll have a highest degree of efficacy, not only uh, with the lowest carbon intensity. And a good example is we've been working over the last four and a half years on the permitting of a large-scale seawater desalination facility. Uh, seawater desalination is a technology that has evolved tremendously over the last decades, and there are many sovereignties around the world that are uh, wholly dependent on seawater desalination for their water needs. Saudi Arabia, Israel, now we're seeing Spain, uh, California has a, a facility in Carlsbad, uh, Australia. So we've really been benchmarking off of these other uh, countries and what they've done from a water policy standpoint and the technologies that they've deployed. Uh, and we have a high degree of confidence that if we can build what we believe will be the largest seawater desalination facility in the United States, right here in Corpus Christi, we can take full advantage of these appetites for hydrogen in their and whatever their derivative form is. Uh, I've been in a lot of conversations with uh, representatives from the Japanese government, from the Korean government, from the Dutch government, from the German government who have that appetite to secure energy for the long-term and energy supply for the long-term. And they are all looking at the United States and they're looking at Texas and they're looking at Corpus Christi to secure their energy supplies for decades. Uh, and we're encouraged by uh, the interest right here in, um, in, in South Texas. So I am, um, I'm delighted. Uh, I think my timing I couldn't have been better. And in my 30 year career, uh, I am probably having uh, the most fun. The team that we've been able to assemble here, in my opinion, is second to none in the industry. Uh, it's a team that has fully embraced uh, our culture here, our can do culture. Uh, and we have uh, a wide array of experts, both uh, from private sector as well as uh, government. Uh, and I think that's being reflected in our performance. You know, we've grown over my tenure uh, threefold in terms of size, in terms of volume, uh, and in terms of uh, our, our fiscal performance, uh, which really allows us to continue with some of these really ambitious initiatives uh, and having the resources to do that. So I'm, uh, I'm, I have the, uh, you know, the great job of telling their story, but it really is the great women and men uh, that are in this building and work around the Port of Corpus Christi, those 98,000 hardworking women and men at the refineries, at the petrochemical plants, uh, at the, uh, the midstream operations. Uh, all of them um, are people that I uh, enjoy uh, working with and take their dependency on our ability to execute uh, seriously. And so I'm, uh, I'm, I'm grateful for it. at this point in my life, uh, I still have a front row seat to uh, some really exciting things. Well, they say always, if you love your job, it's not really a job. And it clearly shows. For us, I think we get challenged sometimes. Why do you cover the Port of Corpus Christi so much? And my response is, do you know the name of the show? It's called In the Oil Patch. There is no other port doing what the Port of Corpus Christi is doing. And it's, it's, it's impressive in the sense of just seeing how much it's evolved in such a short period of time, looking out at the future of all the different things that your team is working on to make this a full faceted port, if you will, in every area. And I see it as this is probably 
what I said last night. Pay attention because this is the port that is the shining star of all the ports in the United States. When we're going to talk about energy and diversification and telling that energy transition story, this is the port that's going to show it and going to do it more than any other port. Now, that's not knocking Thank other you. ports. Thank you. But they're diversified and they do other things. This port, if you're interested in energy, if you want to understand what's happening in the energy sector, this is the port to pay attention to, the Port of Corpus Christi. Well, we're, we're uh, if I can, uh, in the little time we have left, uh, the American Association of Port Authorities has started a new program called the Powers Program. Mm -hmm. And it's a, a program that is about energy security and environmental protections and environmental initiatives for our industry. And I'm, I get a lot of phone calls from a lot of my peers in the port sector with a lot of questions about what we're doing. And just, you know, having uh, an ability for us to share what we're doing with my colleagues around the industry uh, really gives me a lot of solace that we're on the right track and we're doing some great things. And uh, we want everybody to, uh, to see what we're seeing uh, and we want everybody to be successful. And we do think that there's a lot more room for growth and prosperity in the sector. Uh, so we, um, we're really excited about uh, our future and the future of the sector. Well, that is all the time we have for this show. But I do want to tell you before we leave, we will continue to follow your story. This is historic. You guys are doing a fantastic job. And this story needs to be told. It is definitely newsworthy. Thank you for joining us on In the Oil Patch Radio Show. Thank you. It's my pleasure. In the Oil Patch is where, together, we explore topics that affect us all in oil, gas, business, and in your community. Every week, your host, Kim Bellotto, will visit with the movers and shakers in this fast-paced industry. You'll hear from industry experts, elected officials, and many more right here on In the Oil Patch.